0: everyone, and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. Gary Giannetti, author, is going to be joining me in a few moments to talk about his new book called Start Without Me, which is out this week. It's a hilarious essay collection, which you can get starting on Tuesday, I believe. Uh, Gary's been on the show before, and so we talk about the book writing process and uh, all sorts of good stuff. But before we get into that, I had a few house life things I wanted to get off my chest because I don't really talk Bravo with Gary, although I know he does uh, watch the Bravo universe. However, I do have a couple little things I just need to talk about. And I know we've sort of skirted around this issue on the podcast before, but it's come to light, speaking of books, because Garcelle Beauvau just had this new book come out. A housewife book came out. And Erica Jane famously threw it in her trash can, posted on social media. And then Erica Jane was calling out how she addressed some of them in the book. Garcelle addressed some of the other cast members. So, she tweeted something about how Lisa Renna, Kyle Richards, and then specifically Amelia Gray, uh, Lisa Renna's daughter, was also mentioned in the book. And this was under fire because people always say in the housewife, the kids are off limits. That's a famous thing. Not only has it happened in this moment with this book situation where allegedly people are saying it's bad that Garcelle talks about Amelia in the book, which if you read the book, it was so innocuous. I was like, there's barely any, there was nothing juicy in there. It was basically just saying, this thing happened on the show. I brought up this thing about Lisa Wren and the daughter. So it was really, I thought, like not even bad. It was just innocuous. It was uh, innocent. It was nothing. So this thing, though, with the Housewives Kids, it also happened on New Jersey. Remember earlier this season with New Jersey, Gia was fighting with Joe Gorga And it was like, don't – Gia, stay out of the people's business. And everyone was discussing whether or not the kids should get involved. And this whole phrase of the kids are off limits keeps coming up. For years and years, it's come up over and over again on this show. And for a while, I really sided with that. I thought, that's right. The kids should be off limits. They didn't sign up for this, but the parents did. But I got to tell you, and this might not be a popular opinion, and I'm sorry if I offend or insult anyone, but I have to say I don't agree with it any longer – I think the kids should be on limits. Specifically, I think we need to draw the line with the confessional. That's where I'm feeling like I'm the most comfortable drawing the line. So if the kids don't want to be in the confessional and we don't see them filming the scenes, then yes, I think they totally should be off limits. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking of Brandy Glanville's earlier seasons where we never once saw the kids' faces. They were not permitted to film. Adrian Maloof, the Maloof Hoof, she, uh, she had those kids off screen – and then, of course, Brandy Glanville brought up the way that those kids were conceived, and that whole rumor or whatever came up, and it was handled very oddly on the show because they had some legal stuff they had to get around. But Adrienne malouf she never had the kids on the show, really. Right, they weren't in confessionals, but now we see a lot of the kids in confessionals. So we've seen Amelia Gray on the confessional, we've seen Gia in the confessional, we've seen Shannon Bedore's daughters, daughters in the confessionals. We've seen a lot of these kids miking up and getting in front of the red light. And to me, and this again might not be a popular opinion, but then that's sort of signing up for the show. It's signing a deal with the devil. And so even the parents, I think, on some level, should be held. Accountable if they sign up to be on this reality show, they also should know by now, because we're far enough into the evolution of the Real house size franchise. It's not like we're in season one, two, three, or four. These have been going on for decades. Orange County's in its 20th season or something like that. It's not quite 20, but it's been over a decade. So we know how this is handled, and oftentimes on every single different franchise, the kids inevitably get brought up. How the people are parenting gets brought up. So these people know what they're signing on for at this point. And I totally am empathetic, and I understand why somebody wouldn't want to. I would not want to do that if I don't have any kids. But I would imagine if I wanted to keep my kids off, I would say, you know what? This is not a good platform for me because it's uh, something that I've seen in the history of this franchise that the kids could come up, and I don't want my kids to come up. So, But when you sign on that contract, these women know by now. Whether or not it says it explicitly in the contract is another story. We've seen it time and time again, so they know that going in. Secondly, there's a difference when somebody is filming a confessional, right? It's different than when you just see the kid in the background. I'm thinking of a New Jersey. I think, I don't think Jackie's kids have filmed confessionals. I don't even think Dolores, we've seen from Frank Jr. and we've seen the Dolores' other daughter. Uh, film a little bit, but they haven't, I don't think they, they've been in confessionals. I could be wrong. Correct me. They haven't gotten in the drama thus far though. But when I think you step in front of that and sit down for a confessional and when you're over 18, I of course think rules are a little bit different when you're under 18. But when you're over 18, as Amelia, Renna's daughter is, and you're in a confessional and you're having storylines on this show, and we're seeing your career on this show even. I mean some of these people uh, Gia, I think had the sweatshirt line. We saw the photo shoot for the sweatshirt line. Amelia and Delilah on Real Houses of Beverly Hills. We've seen their modeling careers. so we've seen their careers which they benefit from having on the show. And so I just think we need to rewrite those rules because I'm I just feel like it's uh, okay it's enough is enough. I feel like the Taylor Armstrong enough. enough. Enough, enough. Everybody keeps saying this, and I'm thinking, well, if they're over 18 and they're voluntarily filming, they don't have to film. And quite frankly, if they are so dead set against it and they don't want their parent filming, then the parents shouldn't sign up for the show. I'm sorry then don't do the reality show that we know what the rules are of this franchise so if you're signing up to be on this reality show you know that your family's going to be a part of it and if you don't want your family to be a part of it you could do what brandy glanville did in those early seasons which is have them nowhere near uh the filming and unfortunately i remember brandy glanville used to always say in interviews we didn't get to see the motherly side of her right we only saw kind of the villainous confrontational side Whereas when the women do have their kids on the show, often we get a more three-dimensional portrayal because we get to see even someone like, I don't know, Ramona or Vicky Gunvalson. They they get a little softer, I think, when you see them mothering. Maybe not Ramona, but <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen Ramona and Avery and thought, oh, Ramona seems soft. But I think Vicky Gunvalson is a great example of that with Brianna on The Real Houses of Orange County. Whenever I used to see Brianna, I always thought Vicky seemed so much more... S- normal and healthy and wonderful and have all the good qualities versus when we just see the women confrontationally, like we do at Brandy Glanville, then we don't get to see the softer mothering side. So I think that should be a choice that these women have when they sign up for the show. And I just feel like we need to retire the phrase, uh, the kids are off limits or the kids didn't sign up for this. You're right. You signed up for it for the kids. You signed that deal with the devil. And unfortunately, that's part of it. Because we can't keep using the excuse of like, oh, they didn't sign up for it. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. Well, guess what? You did when you signed up for it and you knew that the kids would be a part of it. Or you could keep them off, in which case you're more likely to get demoted. And I think that's often why these housewives do show so much of their children. Because they know that if they don't, they're more likely to just be a friend of, right? They're more likely to just be a Side cast, remember, not a main character. So they want their families and their kids to film. But that's the, it's the, what's the um, balance? It's the scales. It's the how we balance. It's the karma. It's the everything. And so we can all play stupid, and we can all pretend that these people don't know that their kids, what they're getting into with their kids when they sign the contract to be on the Real Houses of whatever city. But they know. And if you are pretending they don't, then you're kidding yourselves. And again, what Garcelle said in the book, uh, I don't think she needed to say anything about that. I mean, it was like so innocent, though, and it was just something that happened on the show they all signed up for. But I just want to point out, it's not the same, and uh, it's not the same. It's not the same. So look, read the book. I don't think she trashed anyone, but I do think that even if she did, if the kid, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I could be wrong, but I believe Amelia... Specifically in this instance, and I feel bad. That sucks. Like I, I'm sure Amelia is like, "Oh fuck, I don't want to be in this fucking book." I get that. But when you're filming and you're in a confessional, which I still believe I don't know this to be true, but I'm pretty certain that if you're filming a confessional on one of these shows, that you do you would have to get paid. I can't imagine they just can't pay you. I know that's been something that's been argued back and forth forever, but I believe that they can't just have you come in and film in a studio. Legally, for insurance reasons, I would imagine that you would have to get some sort of payment, stipend, to film a confessional. So in which case, you're filming, and you sign up for it. You sign up for it. And yeah, it does suck. And I, I don't think Garcel should have said anything about Amelia. On Devil's Advocate, I think there was no point, because none of it was even that interesting or important. And it is a young woman that is not one of the main cast members. However, what Garcelle was, what she said was innocent, and, again, it's what we, it's what these women are signing up for. So let's all stop pretending. So that's number one. Uh Number two, the other thing, just quickly, quickly, and then we're going to get to Gary, because I don't mean to rant like this. I just had some things that to get off my chest. Uh, you know, I... And I don't like to skew negative, right? Like, I don't want to sit on this microphone. I like to talk about all the things that I do love, which I got to say, I think Jerseys have an amazing season. Beverly Hills is coming up. Ah, oh, I'm so excited. Atlanta, I feel like we're going to be renewed, refreshed, rejuvenated. We've got Sheree back for a second time. So excited about where we're at in this Bravo universe. But the other thing I do want to complain about is... <laughs> the other thing I want to bitch about is... The men on The Real Houses of New Jersey, which they've been filming lots of scenes. We always get them. I just was saying, I think last week on the show, I imagine that they've filmed some sort of pilot or something with the men. I would picture the amount of scenes we get with the men on The Real House in New Jersey. We'd be a fool to think that they haven't at least explored the idea of a male-centric spinoff. Now, the thing that really, I think, upsets me about it, and we, I, I mentioned on the show that I don't like seeing those scenes so much, Because they give uh, us a lot of those scenes. It feels like every episode we're getting very extended sequences with those men. And I was trying to think, like, why does it bug me? Why am I bothered by it? And the men on New Jersey, they have a little bit of drama, but it's always brushed off very quickly. And we have a good laugh, right? We have a good laugh when we find out that the men get over the drama so quickly. We all say, oh, my God, that's so like the men, right? There was that fight between Bill and uh, Jackie's husband, Evan, the hot husband. Uh, and so we got a text message saying that they moved past it really quickly. It was just a quick little emoji and then they moved past their argument. We all had a good laugh about how quickly those men move on from the drama. And I think, and I think that what bothers me about it is like, I signed up to watch these women. And it's so rare on television to have these women of a certain age portrayed. And we always talk about how we get to see these women dating and starting businesses and dealing with death, divorces, friendships, businesses, all sorts of mothering, parenting, being daughters to their mothers, we get to see all these wonderful, beautiful facets of women over 40, over 50, over 60, sometimes. And it's something we don't see uh, on the outskirts of TV. We don't see in the scripted world that much representation for older women. And so I think what bugs me is then we have these men who get to come on this show then, and they get to be all easy, breezy, beautiful, easy, breezy, beautiful, moving past the drama. And they just get to be funny and light and everything. And then the women are coming across as like the women are fighting again. And I love the fighting. We all love – the drama is what a lot of people tune into these shows for. But it's like sometimes I like when the women get to be the easy, breezy, beautiful, dramatic, free moments of these episodes. But on Jersey, I think what's frustrating me is that it seems like we're getting more of those moments from the men. And it's like the men get to come across as so great. And then the women are coming across as just fighting all the time. And I'm getting like defensive on behalf of this franchise. Because I always hear people complain about these shows and say, what do you like about Housewives? It's just these women fighting, it's bad representation, it's misogynistic, all these things. And my argument is always, well, we see all facets of them, but usually it's those dramatic moments, it's the table flips, it's the hair and everything. That's uh, what is picked up by the news and the blogs and what you see on social media all the time. And so those images... Get ingrained in your brain, and you forget about Dorinda and Carol going to pick up Carol's uh, dead husband's ashes, and uh, and uh, comparing their grief and the loss of their husbands. And you you miss Sonia Tremont Morgan dealing with the loss of her pet and having a dog funeral. And you 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 sort of forget about these other lighter moments because the table flips and the. And Bethany calling Luana a slut And all that kind of stuff Is what gets ingrained in our brains And so I just I get mad at, Or I get defensive on New Jersey It's like I want viewers to be able to See the lighter side of the ladies So really I'm just here to say uh, I'm not so much opposed to these men scenes Because sometimes often they are funny And fun It's just maybe we can also show the women Having a good old time That doesn't necessarily mean uh, Singing a song in a Nashville studio <laughs> Because that, although they were laughing and smiling, I wasn't as the viewer. Do you get what I mean? You know, some of my thoughts are uh, contradictory. I get that. You might be listening to this podcast sometimes and say, Danny, two minutes ago you said one thing, and then two minutes later you said another. I just said I want to see the ladies be light, easy breezy, beautiful. Uh, and then a couple of minutes later I say I don't want to see them singing in a Nashville recording booth with smiles on. Uh, that's because I contain multitudes, I change my opinion. Uh Very quickly And also that was just a real low point That was just a low point The singing in the Nashville studio Like I want to see them having fun in the way that the men get to have fun Which is having some drinks and laughing Which we got to see a lot on Ultimate Girls Trip Uh I think we got to see the ladies having like their slumber parties And I could watch a slumber party I mean, nothing better to me than a slumber party Just I want to see the ladies sit down and play MASH That's what I want to see Not necessarily having them go into a Nashville studio I'd like to see like a good old-fashioned girls' slumber party Does that make sense? Anyway, I had to get those things off my chest I hope I even made any sense Maybe I didn't make a lick of sense In which case, you all turn this podcast off But I had to get those things off my chest Uh, So justice for the women on The Real Housewives I just want to say justice for the ladies Justice for our gals they get a lot of heat. They take a lot of heat from a lot of different people, but we love them, we support them, and I'm grateful that they open their lives to us. And I want them to continue opening their lives to us in authentic and real ways that show us the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything in between. And the men, let's have them on a different show. Let's put them on a different show doing whatever they want. Lord knows there's enough shows about men. Uh, let's just have our ladies be the stars of The Real Housewives. And uh, also, uh, I just want to say about the kids. uh, You sign up for it as soon as you sit down for that confessional. That's where I'm drawing the line going forward. If I see you sit for a confessional, then I don't want to hear anything. If you get, I don't want to hear you get mad that one of the other lady cast members is talking about you. Do you get what I mean? I don't care that they talk about the daughters. If you're sitting in front of a confessional, they don't have to do that. Uh, Okay. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. I got that off my chest. I feel better. I hope you all feel better. Now I want to get to my chat with Gary Giannetti. And again, we don't really talk about Bravo stuff. I've had Gary on before. I know he watches Bravo. He's just on Bitch Sesh last week. I'm sure they talked a lot about Bitch Sesh is the best. If you haven't listened to it, it's a great podcast. Hosted by Casey and Danielle. Check them out. But uh, Gary was on there talking about Bravo stuff. So we mostly talk about his book. Is called Start Without Me. It's fantastic. Really funny. Great. Easy, fun read. I think this time of year, I've just been able to get back into my reading. I, for, early in the pandemic, I was having a hard time concentrating on a book, and uh, the past year or so, I've been able to really uh, get into my reading again. And it was just a really pleasant read. As was his first book. This is the second one, but. Uh, he is great. So check out my interview with Gary Gennetti. I will try to post this on the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Danny Pellegrino and the number one. Uh, go like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Follow me on social media at Danny Pellegrino. Get my book. It's called How Do I Unremember This? I have a special contest thing, not contest, but um, a special offer. So follow me on social media. I'll be posting about it this week. I'm teaming up with a, a really cool company to do something fun. Uh, so I will announce it on my Instagram this early this week, so hopefully. So uh, get my book. I love you all so much for listening. Thank you to ACAST. We'll be back later this week with our recaps. But for now, please enjoy my chat with Gary Gennetti, author of Start Without Me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, and we all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Sometimes the small stressors are are the worst for me because I cannot stop thinking about them when I'm trying to sleep or when I'm trying to go about my day. I keep those little things bottled up, and it can start to affect me negatively. Now, therapy is a safe space to get those things off of my chest and figure out how to work through all that stuff. And if you've never benefited from therapy, I think it's time you explore. I think anyone can be helped by uh, going to a professional therapist. It's so incredibly helpful get those coping skills and uh, deal with those stressors. So, uh, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash everything iconic. Shopify, S H O P I F Y dot com slash everything iconic. Gary Giannetti, the New York Times bestselling author, he's got a new book out called Start Without Me. I'll be there in a minute, which is so funny. Uh, Gary, first of all, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Danny. So now, and congratulations to you, by the way, also on uh, New York Times bestselling author. That's very exciting.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I changed every one of my bios like
1: immediately. Yeah. It was <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> as, as you should. And I just started your book and it's terrific. I'm really enjoying it.
2: Oh,
0: thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm such a huge fan of your writing. And I, you know, I grew up reading people like David Sedaris, and I know you've been compared a lot to David Sedaris, and I just love that they're are now so many sort of gay voices because as a young gay man or or even as a young closeted man it was like I would gobble up any sort of gay essay collection I could find and and at the time that really meant David Sedaris so it's exciting that there's different yeah types it is of- and that you know and that was
1: I mean he's been around for a bit but when I was you know. I guess in my 20s, I also um, gobbled up David Sedaris, who's so tremendous. Um, But yeah, when I was younger, there was nobody really. I mean, I just, you know, you discover things. There were a lot of gay writings, Armistead Mothins, Tales of the City books really spoke to me. But again, yeah, in my 20s, I kind of found that. So, yeah, when you're a teenager, when I was a teenager, I should say, yeah, there was nothing that I knew of, certainly, that I had access
0: to. Yeah, I keep mentioning this guy, Joel Durfner. I I just sort of discovered his book in a Borders bookstore. And and I remember he used a lot of like pop culture references and he talked about things like sex and dating and family and all sorts of stuff. And it was such a formative book for me. And I don't think it was hugely popular, but I just heard from he just sent me an email because I had mentioned him a couple of times and and it was so exciting to me. But I I told him what an impact that had. And and I'm sure you've heard from your first book. Have you heard from young gay people around the world, sort of that they're you know, discovering I, it?
1: I did hear from people, which is nice, as you I'm sure are starting to hear and will continue to hear. You know, I, I did, and sometimes you're not sure because um I'm coming at it, you know, from a person who's in his 50s and you don't know, and I'm telling, I'm talking about my specific experiences, and I don't know if it's going to speak to somebody in their 20s or not. You know, I, I, I don't think it, you hope, you know, something humanity is ageless, right, and, and shared experiences and stuff. But I was a bit surprised by how many people in their 20s um, and, and how many young people and people who had just come out or something could so immediately relate, even though, you know, we were a generation apart. And that's something... That's really nice about, you know, putting yourself, uh, as you know, making yourself vulnerable and putting yourself out there and putting something so personal out there. You hope that you connect with somebody in the way that maybe like you, you were just mentioning others, you know, have connected with us.
0: Yeah. Uh, Gary, I want to talk more about the book, but before I do, I got to dive into a credit on your resume that I'm yes. very fascinated by. Um, it's the Bet Midler sitcom. I didn't just, we talk
1: about this last time. We did, I but I like think, we did we did. talk about okay. it? Cause I just,
0: I, re, I just posted a clip from it, but I didn't know that you also acted in it. I think we I talked did. about how you wrote on it. <laughs> I did. I was in two episodes of it. Okay. Yes, but so I, is there, I played enough- a flight attendant. I, I guess sort of specifically, were you on it from the beginning, writing yes. on it? Okay. Yes. So I guess my sort of specific question, since we did already touch on it on your last thing. The only person, by the way, who's
1: ever asked me, and it was over <laughs> 20 years. So I guess we can revisit it now a few years
0: later. Yes, Danny. <laughs> this is my oral history on the Batman Midler's sitcom. Um, oh, but I want to know the Lindsay Lohan of it all, because she was cast in the pilot. She was in the pilot. And there's... Kind of people speculate of why she wasn't in the rest of the Oh, it's a really, it's a really simple. Is it boring? uh,
1: No, it's not boring. The show was originally supposed to um, shoot in New York and then they changed it to L.A. So the pilot was shot in New York. Oh, no, it was shot in L.A., but they were going to film the series in New York. But when it changed to coming to L.A., Lindsay couldn't come. Because at the time, because of family things and stuff and her situation with her family, she couldn't leave and and move to LA. And and she was cast to, you know, the reason why she did it was because the show was being filmed in New York. So once they made the change to move, I actually thought I was very bummed when the show didn't go to New York because the reason I took the job was because I wanted to go to New York and do the show. And Lindsay had already done uh, Freaky Friday and you could see how tremendously talented she was and she was great in the pilot. And I think that actually really hurt the show that she wasn't able to to continue in it. But anyway, that's that's the story of that. Anything else you want to clear up about Bet, Gary? About <laughs> Bette, the, the, show <laughs> the show? No, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> the last time I thought about it was the last time you asked me about it.
0: I love it. Next time, I'll think of some other questions. <laughs> next time you're on the show. Um, so after your first book, did you were, did you just continuously write after the first book? Because it, it very much reads like a, at least to me, it read very much like a companion to your first book, which I also loved. Um, and I wonder, did you take sort of a writing break, or did you keep writing? How did the I did process take, go? I did
1: you? take a break. Yeah, I, t- I took a break for a bit. Um, And then I kind of focused on and I was writing um, The Prince, the animated uh, show that I did about the royal family. And then kind of then while I was doing
0: that, I started um, this book. Yeah. And what did you, what did you learn from the first book? Did you kind of, was there any lessons you learned going into this one from that first one? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it kind of does. Do you know, I think I was, I allowed
1: myself to not worry about if something was funny or not. Mm. You know, I allowed myself to write things that, you know, weren't funny uh, because I, I think I was more focused on it. Maybe in the first book until the last essay, like everything just has to be really funny, funny. Um, And I kind of gave myself a little bit of a break and said, you know what, this is what I want to write about. And hopefully, you know, you earn with the audience um, that kind of, um, you know, relationship, whether, where, where they will go with you, you know, you've kind of earned that uh, a bit and then they'll go someplace maybe a little bit more um, serious. Yeah.
0: Uh, what other essay collections do you like reading? I mean, I- I'm in the middle of a, a Delia Ephron book, that um her last essay collection and and there's obviously so many that i like but i'm curious which ones do you pick up
1: i love um well david sedaris i i love obviously but um fran lebowitz i'm a big fan mm. um they just uh i think re-released it she hasn't written anything new a, a book of essays have
0: you read her i uh, yes uh, yeah um i think individual essays i don't know that i've read yeah uh a book collection the, the fran lebowitz reader i think
1: is like all of her essays okay. together and she I mean, she's brilliant. I also love, um, have you read David Rakoff? I've heard, I have it in my Goodreads collection. Yeah. You know, he's since, um, sadly passed away and, uh, he's brilliant. He's so funny. You know, his, his essays are, uh, yeah, they're really also, um, a gay man of about the same age as, as David Sedaris, he would be, I guess now. Um, but his essays, I love, um, yeah. they're terrific. Yeah. Is there anybody else? Yeah. That I haven't read, you know, once I started writing them, which is a couple of years now, I haven't really read any Yeah. because yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't want anything in my
0: head. I, if that makes sense. Yeah. I feel the same way. I just started picking some uh, new stuff up, but I needed a little breather. um, Yeah. And I couldn't, yeah, I think even subconsciously, I do that with the podcast too. I can't listen to other podcasts because I don't even want to subconsciously sort of lift I know somebody's stuff.
1: Yeah. Also, it's what you're doing too, right? All the time. So on t- then another thing is you want to break. It's like sitcoms. I-, I tend to not watch a lot of comedy and not watch a lot of sitcoms. It's not anything out of... It has to be really like, okay. And I have to really kind kind of love it. But um, yeah, I, t- I tend to watch way more drama just because you know, it's what you do all the
0: time. And, yeah. um, yeah. Uh, Gary, I want to ask you about a couple, a couple specific essays in the book, and I don't want to give any spoilers away, but, um, I loved the graduation chapter where you talk about sort of the influence or, or, or sort of not what they don't prepare you for and what you're not prepared oh, for. That, that's the, co- the, the commencement the commencement speech. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So can you, can you spoil, can you spill a little bit of your thoughts on, on people graduating, share with our listeners a little bit?
1: (laughs) It was just, you know, my idea of what people should really kind of tell you about what it is after you graduate, you know, because you think you're being prepared for something and obviously (laughs) it is not anything like the real world, you know, when you graduate. So it's just, yeah, it was just my way of like, you know, like. Yeah, shit's not the way you think it's going to be. All those things, all those nights you stayed up late with your friends, like, oh, my God, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Yeah, like none of that ever happens. You know,
0: it's like this is what's going to happen. It's also so important to let college kids know that your grades don't really matter in college. I feel like that's, (laughs) it's just a letter. Or your major. (laughs) None of it matters. Like (laughs) None of it really matters, you know, and obviously,
1: but um, obviously I'm being you know, a bit satirical. But within that, then then it's like, but then here are other things that might be helpful to know that would have been helpful for me, you know, to know at, at the time. So, yeah. yeah, it's meant to be ridiculous, but it, people seem to respond to it, which I... That was my I favorite liked.
0: chapter, Gary. I loved yeah. it. I, um, there were also tons of uh, relatable stuff. I mean, you talk about tanning. And as, as an Italian man, I sort of came of age during the Jersey Shore era. So... My love or or, or sort of obsession with tanning was really due to that group of individuals on MTV. But you talk about tanning as well, and you're oh, yeah, it's way predates that, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, also, because when I are you all Italian, I'm Italian and Polish, okay, because you're you're fair, yeah, like I'm complete, like, like, so it would like I tan. Like I'm tan now and it's just from like driving, you know? <laughs> so, I, so I get, you know, I'm very olive complexioned and I tan very, um, easily, but yeah, it was a thing. Like we didn't have, like people really tan pre Jersey shore. I mean, yeah, they, they took it to, a, I don't know. I, I would get even darker than them, but they would do tanning beds and we did, and did the tanning creams or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, What's the other one besides the tanning bed? The spray, you the spray know, spray tan. Yeah, we had nothing. So there was, I mean, tanning beds, yeah, that that's safe. But people, it was very much like you got it from the sun. You know, you really, you had to work for it <laughs> as if it was something, in know, some grand accomplishment to lay in the sun for nine hours, you know, but that's how it felt. It felt like a tanning bed was cheating. No, we, and to use any kind of sunblock or anything, I don't think I bought a, a sunblock until, or any sun thing, like until I was like, 40. <laughs> you know? yeah. I was very like, I would, I would put, I would be putting on number four, you know, like, see, I'm protected and stuff. Yeah. Because I was completely fixated on like being tan.
0: Uh, I was obsessed with being T and And I, I, I don't, I don't get red or um, I I get really tan as well. Like I don't, nothing happens to my skin. And I remember I had a very fair skin friend who I brought to the tanning bed because I had a subscription to this place in Solon, Ohio, where (laughs) a friend worked there. And so she let me go into the tanning bed once or twice a week sometimes. And uh, I brought a fair skin friend and I would go in for 20 minutes because it was an older bed and, you know, I, I didn't, nothing happened to my skin. It was just, it would get tan. And so I sent my fair skin friend in and she didn't know the tanning bed. <laughs> and I locked her in there basically not not locked her, but I put her in there for 20 minutes. I was like, oh, you'll be fine. And <laughs> it was not good for her skin. Yeah, no, I've
1: never been, that's my like, I've never been in a tanning bed. <gasps> never. Bed. No, oh I've God. never done it's all all the damage I've done to my skin has been natural. I mean, yeah. Oh my God, so much damage that I it was done. like
0: a sick a sickness because also I I realized that when I would use the tanning bed it would help clear up acne. It would sort of dry up acne. So if I would start to get a zit or something, I'd be like, oh, I got to run to the tanning bed for 20 minutes and it would clear it right up or, or maybe just sort of mask it or something. Oh yeah.
1: It was so crazy that I would sometimes like, because I couldn't use when I was young, I wouldn't use any kind of sunblock. So I would lay out sometimes I'd really overdo it if the sun was too strong or depending on where I was. So after nine hours, I would get sunburned, you know, everybody gets a sunburn. And then I'd be like, Oh shoot. Like now, like what this is, how is this going to like, and then I'd still lay in the sun, even sunburned. I'd be like, I can still just not for nine hours. And then eventually, you know, your skin would peel and then it'd be red and raw underneath. And then I'd be like, ah, now I can start tanning. (laughs) Fresh again. Yeah. I could start tanning that. Now the real tanning is about, that was just the, the starter Mm -hmm. layer, like the warm up, you know, that I had to kind of get through like, Oh yeah. what a Crazy. wild time. I do what not, <laughs> but I still like anything. I'm still like if I have a little color, I'm always like, ah, you mm-hmm. know, this looks mm-hmm. yeah, this is right. But um, yeah, a lot of laying in the sun. Like it was my job.
0: Gary, you mentioned uh sexual awakening. Specifically, you mentioned your first penis that you saw on screen <laughs> was American Jigolo. And it was. I'm endlessly fascinated. First of all, that movie too. I I remember seeing in the very early days of the internet, I remember seeing like a screen grab of it. And then I went to the local library to rent it, which (laughs) I think back now, I'm like, why was the library carrying American gigolo? I'm not sure. It's a good library. Or, Or letting a young... Teenager rented. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> clear on that. But um, I'm curious. What were your other sort of sexual awakenings at that time? Because we all sort of have the pop culture, not the personal ones, but like the ones where you were watching on television or in film, um, like the Richard Gear. Which Richard Gear really was is was one of the most attractive than ever, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, an
1: American jiggle. And he was working out. Do you remember, like, this was 1980. So it's like the 70s ended, like somebody flicked a switch. It was disco and bell bottoms and a long hair. And suddenly it was 1980 and we heard of, and Giorgio Armani and sleek and shorter hair and working out and, you know, European clothing, you know, like it was like the world, had, the music changed. It's like everything completely. I don't remember any, anything changing from 2019 to 20. 2020 but this was like yeah so so the look of people and and working out became like a thing and that was you know very appealing to you know young me it was like oh my god you know so i i wrote about it in my first book stephen carrington on dynasty who was um an out gay character that was i had never seen one before he was like a football player in college and blonde and all american and you know so i was like who's he you know like i was fixated on him you know because i had so few other people but there were always that kind of mark Harmon was you know from now we know him from ncis is that the show he's on all the one, time? Of one of yeah, those yeah 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 oh my god like he was on everything you know in the 70s and 80s and he was really beautiful you know he was so he was kind of i was kind of like oh you know i like him you Yeah. Know? And I know you're friends with Lisa Renna, but Harry Hamlin. Yes.
0: Um, Harry Hamlin.
1: Have you ever seen Making Love? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, terrific. And also, what a kind of uh, it's. I hate to use the word brave, but like at the time for him to take it that was. Role was oh, but incredible. it was
1: completely brave. You know. I know we say it's like, oh, you're you're playing a gay man, and that's and you're straight and beautiful. But yeah, at that time, nobody, I, I, nobody would take that part, and it affected it legitimately affected his career, and he was able to say, I want, you know, recognize that this was, you know, a part that he wanted to play and had some and he and he brought with it like humanity and it was unapologetic and sexy and fearless, you know, that he kind of did that. But yeah, I mean I remember at the time this the scandal, you know, around that movie, so I'm sure there was. You know, this is 40 years ago. Can you imagine what was coming at him from his rep- as a young man, as his representatives? You'll never work again. Why would you do this? You have every, you know, like everything was designed to be fearful of it. And yeah, um, yeah so he he was a he was definitely a very very early
0: ally. What do you make of the rep- gay representation on screen nowadays? Do you, I, I, obviously we've grown a lot. This is maybe a deeper conversation, but what do you think?
1: it's extraordinary, the kind of, you know, the sea change and what has happened, you know, certainly even in the last, um, in the last 20 years from when I first started writing for TV, you know, I was always trying to find out because I was always out um, once I moved to LA before, you know, I've I've been out since I'm 20. And, um, and I never... You know, even pretended I was anything other than I was, because also, you know, I'm very, it's very obvious what I am. like. It wasn't like, I, would, I couldn't push myself back down once I, once I came out, there was no going back. And I wanted to find a way, even in the early shows that I worked on, you know, like how do i How do I bring my sensibility to this like what 's my way in how do How do I you know and then, when I would write pilots, I was always writing gay characters or finding a way to to do and it was you know it was not met with open arms by any measure you know it was like always like I had to kind of like put it in like a trojan horse you know find a way to kind of you know, be myself and get out what I wanted to say. And if it would, sometimes it was through other characters on the show. Sometimes I was able to write gay characters, but it wasn't, it certainly was not embraced. And and I had to always be very kind of um, thoughtful about how I was going to do it. Yeah.
0: You know, I I write scripted stuff too. And you hear a lot like, oh, well, we already have this gay project. We already have one gay project. And it's like, well, you have 15 other, not gay projects, yeah. but it's like suddenly your one is filled. So it still seems, I'm just learning that it still seems maybe not great, but it's much better yeah, than I I'm sure it was.
1: I haven't experienced that. So, but I would just say, don't try to change anything for what it is. And this is a general note for you know everyone. Don't try to change anything that you want to do because you think it's it's going to be, if you do it this way, then it will move forward. You know, if I, if I change this, then I'll get it done. Then I'll get it produced. Then I'll get it on the air. Then I'll get it sold. Then I'll do anything. Your your best chance always is just to always do exactly what you want to do and what you feel passionately about. Because mm. anything is going to be a torturous uphill battle to get anything done and, and produced and out in the world. And if you don't feel excited about it, it will collapse uh, or it will be mediocre. You know, it doesn't have, and you'll just, forget what it is along the way, but it's very easy to get sucked in at some point and be like, oh, I wanted to do this, but they already have that. So what if I switch this and this and this, and now it's a different thing that they don't have and it fills that slot, so I'll do that. And But nobody ever knows what they want. It changes daily. It becomes a dog chasing its tail. You start to do that. Like, I'll do this, what I want. Suddenly, a few months later, that person's gone and a new person's there who wants what you had originally, you know? So you you always just have to stick
0: to what it is you want to do. That's such great advice. I feel like I needed that advice in this. Yeah. Always do it. You're welcome.
1: And and by the way, I give it to myself, you know, more than once. I remind, you know, you remind yourself of things. You always get in trouble when you try to do what somebody else wants, because you think that'll be the thing that, that moves it forward. And it, it always ends badly. And the things that really, you know, make noise and make pop and pop, and or you know, are the, you know, are, are the things people audiences recognize when something is, you know, w- when something is not Authentic. bullshit. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I, and, and yeah, I think you do have to trust your gut on some level because yeah, I don't know, everything you said just really makes sense to me. I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that
2: That's stamps.com code program.
0: Uh, thank you, Gary. What's next? Is there going to be more of the pr- Are you doing more of the prints? Will you no, do more of the prints? Okay, yeah, yeah Prince, is, prince done. is done.
1: Yes, still on HBO Max, but there won't be a second season. And um yeah, now right now I'm just kind of focusing on the book, you know. Yeah, um, yeah I'm just going to kind of focus on the book. And then after that, um, after that's out in the world. Um, i'll see what's next
0: are we going to be are, we want more we want books from you for forever you're going to keep doing <laughs> books
1: right well <laughs> as you know they're very hard to do i know Now, you'll do another one right i'm just uh, probably probably yeah. it's hard to
0: think of uh, yeah i mean will you do another one yeah i want to yeah i'm, okay, I'm trying to make that all happen. right good so hopefully okay all right, uh good. gary anything else you want to say about your book it's so funny and And it's perfect for right now. I I feel like we all need to check out a little bit. I keep saying that we all need to let the air out of our tires a little bit because everyone's got so much pent up everything. Uh, And I think it's just so perfect for that to read it, you know, on the beach or by the pool or on a plane when you just need to relax and check out. I think it's fantastic. So anything else you want to say about the book?
1: I just hope, you know, it somehow connects with people. You know, I was a, I had, I was a very lonely kid for a very long time amount of time. And, um, you know, so it, that kind of thing still stays a bit alive, I think in a in a good way. So I always remember what it was like when I connected with something. So I hope this is able to connect with, you know, some people out there and might be like, oh, this kind of reminds me of me. This speaks to me. I I, I get this. I feel,
0: you know, more connected. Yeah. I felt that way reading it. Also, I didn't ask you this question. It was written down in my notes, but I do want to quickly get to it. Um, for Christmas, you talk about there's a Christmas chapter and I love the holidays. And it just uh, I want to know what was the most memorable gift that you received as a kid? Like, yeah, were there well, the, a couple of gifts. The
1: essay is mostly about always being disappointed by my gifts. It's like a recurring theme. I always wanted something to be better in it. I don't know what it was, but it was never quite what I was opening. Was there ever anything that I was like super excited about? I think when we got um, the first time, oh my God, this is, yeah, the first video games, because I'm the generation that starts with video games. But I remember the first one, you know, Atari, you know, the first video games. So I think that, you know, that thing that I was excited about that a video Uh. game. It was very glamorous.
0: I loved loved that chat. I mean, I love the whole book. So Gary, it was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time. Hopefully I'll get to see you again in person. I want to encourage everyone to follow Gary on social media. Get Start Without Me. I'll be there in a minute. Uh, And your previous book was, Do You Mind If I Cancel? That was the Do You Mind If I
1: Cancel? Yes.
0: They're great companion books. Read them together. Uh, Thanks, Danny. Gary, thank you. All right. See you soon. Hope to see you soon. Bye.